The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Stewardship Through Respect with your host, Holly Wells. The model of being overworked, stressed out, and oblivious to the world around us is no longer viable. We need to become engaged and take an active stand for those issues that are important to us. Get ready to engage and interact with our discussion. Now, here is Holly Wells. Welcome to the show. This week's guest is here to discuss the stress solution. And I felt this was a perfect time of the year. We all have extra stress. We've got holiday planning and traveling. We have year-end budgeting and forecasting. Wow, just a host of extra things that are just put on our plate. So um, without further ado, we'd like to um, bring on, well, first of all, I'll introduce a little bit of his background. We have Dr. Um, Arthur C.R. McCauley, and he is a licensed clinical psychologist. He's been treating clients for more than 35 years. He's a member of the American Psychological Association and the Massachusetts Psychological Association. He's a very busy man. He's the chief medical officer of soundmints.org. He's currently co-director of Integrated Success Consultants, and he has a private practice himself. He's been on the faculty of the Harvard Medical School several years, lecturer for the American Cancer Society, and he's written several books, and there's just so much more. But without further ado, let's bring him on and welcome. Doctor, welcome to the show. Thank you, Holly. Thank, thank you very much for having me. I appreciate it. Yes, yeah, so we're here to talk about the stress solution and um, many other facets about it. So let's just jump right in. This last book, and I've looked at many of them, I've, I'm, I'm a voracious reader. If I had time, I would go through and read all of your books, by the way. Oh, thank you. <laughs> but this one here is really focusing on um, empathic and what you're calling empathic CBT. What is empathic CBT? Well, empathic CBT is the combination of empathy, which calms the emotional brain so we can perceive accurately and thoughtfully. And the most of stress is produced by misperception when we perceive things in other people or intentions of other people that is not really truthful or accurate, but is due to old conditioning. So empathy slows our brain down enough so we're able to perceive accurately, which is crucial to reducing stress as you know, old bias thinking based on early conditioning distorts reality and causes unnecessary tension. And CBT, cognitive behavioral therapy, basically focuses on the ways we've learned to perceive either about ourselves or others that are not accurate, like, for instance, generalizing or black and white thinking or catastrophizing, mind reading, magnifying, all these ways that we distort reality, which causes tension and stress, and when we have stress, we produce the stress hormone cortisol, which has many negative effects. In addition to this, when we learn how to slow down and interact with empathy, give and receive empathy, we actually change our brain chemistry. I have a, a chapter in the book called The Soul's, the, the, the Soul's Therapy, which is uh, meaning that you can change your own brain chemistry by the way we relate. If we relate with stress, we produce cortisol, the stress hormone. When we give and receive empathy, we produce oxytocin, which is a near miracle, miracle neurotransmitter, you know, the transmitter that women produce when they're pregnant, which has very many positive 
consequences. Fascinating. And so I know that lately our stress rise that our stress rates have just risen. And why do you think is contributing to these rates going up so dramatically? Well, we, we work too much, we sleep too little, we love with half a heart, and then we wonder why we're unhappy and unhealthy. And the, the stress rates in America for the last several years have been rising. You know, 75% of Americans say that they experience stress on a physical or emotional level every day. And 50% of Americans say they wake up every night due to stress. Last year, 75% of visits to primary care physicians were due to stress. So I think there's a change in the society. You know, we live in a very fast-paced society. Um, but also, and most importantly, empathy has gone down. Trust has gone down. Americans have fewer friends today than they had 10 or 15 years ago. Prejudice has gone up. So, and self-absorption and narcissism has increased. So we're not relating to each other in a way that we can really hear and understand each other. And empathy, why I focus on empathy so much is empathy allows us to go beyond the surface and into the heart and soul of another human being so we can really understand them, understand what they're trying to tell us uniquely rather than generalizing based on previous experiences with other people. You know, I often tell people that we have to learn to not put old faces on new faces. We have to actually use empathy to perceive the truth and to assess other people accurately, or else we increase our stress level. And I think we've, you know, in this uh, current society, we've had a tremendous emphasis on achievement, status, and appearance, and far less on character and relationships. You know, we've become such a material-driven and appearance-driven society that it's created the idea in people that the think that if they can perfect what they look like and they can achieve at very high levels and increase material possessions, that's the way to win love and respect from others. And it's really mythical. It's, it's not true. You know, people chase this rabbit and when they finally catch it, they often become depressed because it doesn't bring us what, what really the only thing that brings us that kind of love and respect is knowing how to love and engage others in meaningful ways. Yes, and you were talking earlier about the key of it is being empathic and increasing our empathy. Mm-hmm. And how are you tracking that someone is able to, how are you measuring that someone is able to alter their empathy? It's a self-tracking? You know, every, we're all born with the empathy gene. We're all born with neuromirons in our brains, and it, empathy is sort of like a muscle. If you use it, you expand your empathic range, and if you don't use it, you, it, it atrophies just like a muscle that you don't lose use. So you, you really have to practice. And this book is really a workbook, Holly. It, 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 at the end of every chapter, I ask people to journal and to answer certain questions, identify with stories that I tell about clients or in my own personal life, and focus on how empathic the people are being, the stories I'm telling them, and, and, and this discuss with someone close to you. I ask everyone to take an action at the end of each chapter because really change is more of an active process than you can just think alone to yourself. You have to, you have to put it into action. And we have to be disciplined to expand our empathy. And you can't really have an empathic interchange with another person unless you slow down. Slow down enough, slow your own ex- internal experience enough so that you can listen and perceive beyond the surface. And if you don't slow down, if we're moving so fast that, you know, a lot of my clients talk about reloading. They're, they're, all, they're reloading while someone else is speaking. They're kind of practicing what they're going to say in return. So they're not really comprehending fully what the other person is saying. So the key phrase in it with empathy is slow down. Because when you slow down, you make a brain change. 
And when you produce oxytocin, as I said before, this near miracle neurotransmitter, it has so many positive benefits. It reduces anxiety and cortisol levels. It helps you live longer. It aids in recovery from illness and injury. It promotes a sense of calm and well-being. It increases generosity and empathy. It protects against heart disease. It reduces craving for addictive substances, and it creates bonding. And most importantly, it increases trust in other people. So it decreases fear and creates a, a sense of security so that we can be vulnerable and we're open for love. So just this way of relating changes our brain chemistry and produces a very positive neurochemical that makes us feel close to other people and able to slow down and listen. The opposite is true with stress. Stress produces cortisol, and when we have cortisol in our system, what does it do? It causes negative thinking, it causes weight gain, inflammation, hair loss, it breaks down muscle tissue, causes flabbiness, depression, anxiety, and it actually kills neurons in the memory center of the brain. And it throws off blood sugar levels, which enlarges fat cells and makes us crave sugary substances. So that's why when we're stressed, we tend to eat the wrong things. So... One, one neurochemical change when we're producing stress, cortisol makes us fearful, where oxytocin makes us feel comfortable, secure, and in a position to give and receive empathy. Mm-hmm. And it has all, one has all these positive effects, one has all these negative effects. So I call it, I have, as I said earlier, I have a chapter called The Soul's Pharmacy in the book, which basically is teaching people how to change your brain chemistry naturally. You, we, do, we can do it by the way we relate and the way we perceive. Fantastic. And I know there's a lot of um, discussion, and even with, you know, psychology and all that, and how much you have to go back into the past to help and project to the future. So do we really need to kind of go back and relive these old negative stories that we created about ourselves to um, get rid of that negativity? Well, the, the only time it's really necessary to focus on the past is if it, it's interfering with the present, you know, and otherwise it's not necessary. But we need to understand this, the origin of our old conditioning and how our past can create distorted views of ourselves and others so we can begin the process of perceiving others and ourselves more accurately. I often <clears throat> try to explain to people that early in life we create a novel. You know, it's a fictitious story about ourselves that we write based on what we think is being reflected back to us from the people around us, as if we're looking at ourselves in a mirror. But if the mirrors you're looking into are cracked or inaccurate, you get a distorted view of yourself as if you're looking in a circus mirror. And then as a result, you create an inaccurate story about yourself, and this story sets the stage for an irrational belief system. So we can't change that story alone. We're all too subjective. That's why I encourage people at the end of each chapter in the book to share with another person you're close to what you're learning and ask for feedback, the giving and receiving of empathic feedback, because we can't change that old story alone. We need help. We need balance and feedback from other people. And, you know, when you have good friends, good friends tell, tell you what you need to hear, not what you want to hear. When you have friends that only tell you what you want to hear, they're really acquaintances. They're not deep, in-depth friends. And in order to change that old story, and, you know, we all come into adult life with biases. I mean, nobody grew up in a completely objective world. So it's our job, I think, as adults to unlearn some of those biases, to unlearn so we can perceive accurately others, but also ourselves. You know, so many people grow up thinking, they're not attractive, they're not intelligent, they're not athletic, and on and on and on. And 
really it's because they've been told this so they 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 got this feedback early in life and then they're stuck with it for the rest of their life what i what i try to tell people is anything that's learned can be unlearned we can unlearn mm-hmm. if we're in relationships with the right people who are reasonable and non-defensive and and we give and receive feedback as adults so we can change that story to an accurate story so that we can feel feel more comfortable in our own skin Yes, that's perfect. Just before you got to that end of that sentence, I was thinking, would you recommend, would it be something to take this workbook and sort of do it in a group fashion to what you were just saying? If you're kind of going through the workbook at the same time and maybe talk about it, would that be something that's helpful or is it more destined to be uh, in something you do in isolation? No, I think, you know, your point is actually excellent, Holly, because it's much better when you do it with other people. And in fact, you know, I have leadership and, and, and communication groups that have been ongoing for over 25 years, and these are not people who are mentally ill. They're just people who want to reduce their stress level and lead more balanced lives. And we've used this material for a very long time, and it's very helpful when you do it with someone else. That's why I I accent at the end of each chapter, as I said, to take an action, and I give a specific instruction as to which action to take with someone close to you because we need to have the courage to be vulnerable with the people we're close to. And, you know, another problem in our society is we we become so perfectionistic that we kind of keep our flaws, we try to keep our flaws and difficulties and vulnerabilities away from the people we're close to, as if we have to, you know, project a certain image of ourselves that we think will only be acceptable to them. And, you know, that's that never makes a person feel comfortable or makes other people around you feel comfortable. We We have to be able to come to terms with you know, who we are and what we're not. And, you know, I have a chapter at the end about authenticity because I, I try to focus on being ourselves, finding out who you are, not not the conditioning that you grew up with, but unlearning some of that condition so you, uh, conditioning so you can truly find out who you are. And that only happens through positive relationships. Fantastic. That is a great way to um, segue into our break. So we're going to take a quick break, but we will be back to talk more with Dr. Arthur C.R. McCauley and Balancing Your Success after this break. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. This program is sponsored by ILoveNature.com. Do you love sustainability? Do you love getting to the point? Sustainability is thoughtful, planned utilization of the Earth's resources for the betterment of humanity. Sustainability awareness is crucial to the Earth and to humanity's continued long-term existence. We all need to participate. This is a global issue that impacts each of us locally. Visit ilovenature.com. Respect yourself, the Earth, and humanity. That's E-Y-E, lovenature.com. Relationship issues? Anxious? Parenting challenges? No more. Learn how to live your best life. Tune into Straight Talk 
with top psychotherapist, relationship, and anxiety expert, Sandra Reich. In this program, you'll learn how to transform your challenges into effective solutions, whether it's relationships, parenting, anxiety issues, or other life traps that you struggle with. Sandra will show you how to change them and how to live the life of your dreams. Listen every Thursday afternoon at 6 p.m. Eastern Time and 3 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. I Love Nature supports sustainability, and that begins with self-love and self-care. Take a moment and ask yourself, do you often feel your batteries need to be recharged? Do you regularly wish for more time in the day to tackle everything on your to-do list? Are you continually delaying personal vacation planning? It's time to reclaim your life's purpose. Break out of your rut. Visit ilovenature.com. Get out and enjoy nature and some physical exercise. That's E-Y-E-LoveNature.com. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. You are tuned in to Stewardship Through Respect with Holly Wells. If you have a question or comment about our show, please send an email to respect at ilovenature.com. That's respect at eyelovenature.com. Now back to this week's program. Welcome back. Welcome to the show. Um, one of the things that is uh, a part of the book, which I didn't know that was a nice little surprise, but um, on the break here, I was talking with Dr. C about uh, on his website, there is the ability to go in and complete a goodness survey. So I was wondering if that was appropriate for the listeners to go there. Again, it's at balancingyoursuccess.com. You can see all of his other um, books and workbooks that are available. And you can actually go to uh, one of these tabs and fill out this survey. And so I'd love to just talk about that and then how it linked back to the book. This will be really fun. So it's really the empathy and goodness survey. Yeah, it's called the Empathy and Goodness Project. It's on Facebook. And Fantastic. anybody, any, everyone's welcome to join. And I, I actually, I usually um, write on it daily, make, you know, comments and quotes from my work and from my thinking that people can be exposed to. So you can, if you go there, you can see it's been ongoing for a couple of years now. Fun. And then that relates back into the book. You were mentioning it. One of the chapters of the book is talking about the project. Yes. One of the chapters is, is about goodness because giving, you know, we know that giving really changes our neurochemistry as well. And actually the people who are giving are four times as healthy who are, than people who are taking people who are takers. That's why I was accenting earlier when we were talking about how our society has become more self-absorbed and narcissism, the rates of narcissism have increased as rates of empathy have decreased. So we know when you're of service to others, it changes your brain chemistry. It, again, that's, you know, that's talking about the soul's pharmacy, that you can really change your brain by giving to others. And what I mean by goodness breakthroughs is, you know, when our hearts are broken, when goodness is, goodness is often lost in the suffering, and we're, we're reluctant to open up, and, and we fear, uh, because we're fear of being hurt again. And sometimes, you know, we need someone else to help us come out of ourselves. And when we travel back and, and heal our broken hearts, we, we see the world differently. And when we, when we start to give to others and come out of ourselves, we see that the good, the goodness in the world is still there, even though, you know, when we're hurt, our world becomes very small. When you, when you lose someone through death or 
when there's a breakup of a marriage or a relationship, you can you can feel very devastated and feel like the world has turned bad, and you you can't see the goodness in the world or in other people. But we're I believe we're all born with goodness within us, and we have to get back to touching touching that part of our hearts that's soft and really wants to connect with other people. And it happens when we get help from others. When we give to others, we get something back. And one, actually, one of my clients asked in a group session this morning, well, what can I do when I'm, when I'm feeling so blue around the, on the holidays? I said, try giving to some other people. Try doing something for someone else. One of the women said, you know, have you seen your mother lately? And he said, no. And I, he said, why don't you bring her some flowers today and just stop by unexpectedly. Do something. Come out of your those negative thoughts that are swimming around in your head and, and, and give something to someone other other than yourself and you'll start to feel better. And I think that often happens when when we heal something that's hurting us, when our hearts are broken and we heal, we can heal all, through giving, through engaging others and coming out of ourselves because, you know, when we're that hurt, it makes us more introspective. We want to pull the covers over and just be alone. And actually, it's the worst thing you can do. You know, the worst thing you can do when you're feeling down and, and your mood is low is to withdraw, to isolate. Perfect. And while you were talking, um, I know that we were talking about being authentic is important to reducing stress. Is this the kind of same tactic we're going down? Because to me, when you're stepping into being authentic, you are thinking more of how you relate to others. That's where you do feel the joy is to giving. So is that in addition to what you're saying or down that same path of being yeah, authentic? Yes, very, very much so, because I think, you know, so many people substitute their natural personality for one that's trying to please to gain acceptance and love. And it's a failing proposition. You know, pretense is a burden that's depleting, and it makes it difficult to maintain intimacy. As, you know, closeness to other people is based on being able to be open, genuine, and vulnerable. And authenticity attracts others in powerful ways and allows us to feel comfortable in our own skin. And when we're not authentic, it's not a very good feeling. we're We're not able to give the goodness that we have within us to others because we're maintaining an image. And, you know, when you live with someone else or, you, or you're in a close relationship with someone else and you're pretending, and sometimes people don't even know they're pretending because they're so used to reading cues from other people to try to find out what will please them and try to do what will please them to gain their love. But, you know, inside, you, when you're doing that, you know, people feel kind of fraudulent, like I'm a fraud. I'm not really letting people know who I am. And how can you really feel the depthness of love if you don't know, let people know who you are? Because... We really feel the goodness within us and we feel truly loved when we know we've let people know the positive and negative aspects of who we are. Let them know our flaws and I'm not trying to be perfect. You know, this, this idea of, of trying to be perfect drives people crazy. And then you try to, you know, you, you, then you pass it on to your children and other people and, and, and they feel all that tension. It's, it's what I call, you know, I have a chapter in the book called Performance Addiction because I, I wrote a book on it a few years ago and because I feel like that's part of what's happened in our culture, that we have this addiction to the belief that perfecting appearance and achieving status will secure love and respect. And it's an irrational belief system that's learned from early family experiences and it's re- reinforced by our material appearance-driven society. And it actually contributes to image love, to, to trying to project an image and then falling in love with an image of another person and, of course, those relationships usually fall apart because once you start to reveal who you truly are, 
um, the other person is disappointed, and, and probably so are you. You know, I had an example just a, a, a short time ago where I, I did a consultation with a couple who moved here from California, and they'd only been married two years, and they were they were already going to be divorcing, and they wanted to come in and talk about you know how to do it and so forth. And I asked them why they were divorcing, and and the the, the wife said I. I really have fallen out of love with my husband. I said, well, how did it occur? And she said, well, you know, my, my husband was the CFO of a major company in California, and I, I worked in the company, and I used to report to him, and I used to see him in his three-piece suit and presenting in front of large groups of people, and I was so impressed with him. And then he lost his job, and we came to Massachusetts to a startup, and then the startup failed, and now I come home at night, and, I, my, and my husband's in sweatpants, on the internet looking for a job and I just don't feel the same about him anymore. Now, you know, that's what I call image love. I don't think she ever really loved him in the first place and I don't think he ever really loved her. You know, he's a a fella in early 50s and she's in her mid-30s and, you know, I'm sure she was idealizing him at first but this is a woman who comes from a very wealthy family. She's very taken with image and credentials and one of the first things she asked me is where did I get my degrees and, you know, you know that type of person, and, and yeah. she never really fell in love with him, and I don't think he was in love with her either. So once the image fell apart, he wasn't in the three-piece suit anymore. He was looking for jobs on the internet in sweatpants. All of a sudden, she falls out of love with him, which tells me she was never in love with him in the first place. Hmm. Yes, that is problematic and definitely occurs out there. There's many reasons and issues for things that we get ourselves into relationships for. Um, And you mentioned in addition to uh, performance addiction, and I love that term that you've given that. That's a a great tag. I'm going to use that a lot, performance addiction. It sounds, um, when you first hear it, it sounds positive. (laughs) You know, we're so biased and, you know, competing for everything. So you hear it. And when I hear it, I think it's a good thing until you start describing it. And then you realize that it's really more of... um, a problem, which kind of was bringing me to this next question about um, addictions as far as prejudice also causing stress for us. That's kind of an addiction. We can't get over that old judgment. It's kind of so natural that we have prejudices and we go to those. Yes, yes. You know, I was so happy, Holly, that my my uh, publisher allowed me to write a chapter on prejudice because I, I just think because it's increased in our society and race relation, race relations have deteriorated um, I wanted to write about it because I don't think people realize, generally speaking, how much prejudice causes stress. You know, when you when you encounter someone who you have an inherent prejudice against, whether it's conscious or unconscious, you begin to experience a degree of stress. And when we're stressed, we release the stress hormone cortisol, which limits our capacity for empathy, while also causing repetitive negative thinking, and it causes all those other negative effects that I mentioned earlier. And a lot of our prejudices, not only about other people, but about ourselves, are, are based from, you know, on early conditioning. You know, I had an example where I have 10 or 12 co- comments on the, on the chapter in prejudice uh, that people have made to me in the privacy of my office. Because, you know, people come to trust me over time. It's a confidential uh, interaction and conversation. And one of the men, for instance, who is a, a decent human being. He said to me there, we were talking about something about local Boston sports, and there was a dog barking out, outside, and it was in the summer. And he said, you know, oh, dogs. He said, um, uh, dogs don't like black people. And I said, really? And I said, well, how, how, did you, 
how did you learn that? How did you come to believe that? And he said, I think it's something about my the smell. I, and I said, really? He said, yeah. And I said, can you tell me about that, how, how you learned that? And he said, well, my mother used to say, don't bring the dogs down to the corner of our street because down in the corner of the street there was a black family. And she said, you know, um, dogs don't like black people. And I said to him, well, did you ever bring the dogs down there? And he said, no. And I said, did you, have you ever been in the presence of a black person with your dogs? And then there was this long silence, and he said, no, you're making me feel silly. I said, I'm not trying to make you feel silly. I'm just trying to understand the origin of your perception. I said, I have an uncle who's an African-American, and we call him the dog whisperer because he has two dogs, and he trained our dogs, and he's fantastic with dogs, and they love him. And I've never noticed any smell, and, and I've actually had exposure with black people and dogs. And he said, well, I, I guess I never, I never thought about it very much. And I said, that's, that's how many of our prejudices are evolve. They're, they're not based on really thinking through the facts. They're based on early conditioning. And again, that's where empathy comes in because empathy slows us down because empathy is, is the, the, the ability to look into the unique experiences of other persons and find out the facts. The fact in this conversation was, it's not true. It's a myth. It's not true that dogs don't like black people. It was something that he learned from his mother, probably from her prejudicial background. And we have so many of those ideas in our minds without even realizing it. And again, not only toward other people, but also toward ourselves. Yes, that is fascinating again, and I love the story. What we're going to do is we're going to take another quick break here. We're going to come back, and we've talked a lot about the basis and why things are being done, and what I would love to do when we come back is share like some practical tips. I know you have some things right now I just mentioned is a time we're going through some stress, so something to um, think about while we're thinking about the stress and just a trigger that we can catch ourselves and maybe uh, not react. Instead, do what you're going to suggest after we get back from this break. Thank you. You're welcome. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. I Love Nature supports sustainability, and that begins with self-love and self-care. Take a moment and ask yourself, do you often feel your batteries need to be recharged? Do you regularly wish for more time in the day to tackle everything on your to-do list? Are you continually delaying personal vacation planning? It's time to reclaim your life's purpose. Break out of your rut. Visit ilovenature.com. Get out and enjoy nature and some physical exercise. That's eyelovenature.com. Addiction affects so many of us on a daily basis, but it's not just the individual who is affected, but their family, friends, work, and school life, their homes, relationships, and so much more. Listen to people who have been there and lived through it. Listen for Shattering the Stigma with Mama Dukes and Frankie, a mother and son team who have faced addiction together and continue to fight today. Shattering the Stigma can be heard live every Tuesday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time, 3 p.m. Pacific on Voice America Health & Wellness. This program is sponsored by ilovenature.com. Do you love sustainability? Do you love getting to the point? Sustainability is thoughtful, planned utilization of the Earth's resources for the betterment of humanity. 
sustainability awareness is crucial to the Earth and to humanity's continued long-term existence. We all need to participate. This is a global issue that impacts each of us locally. Visit ilovenature.com. Respect yourself, the Earth, and humanity. That's E-Y-E, lovenature.com. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. You are tuned in to Stewardship Through Respect with Holly Wells. If you have a question or comment about our show, please send an email to respect at ilovenature.com. That's respect at eyelovenature.com. Now back to this week's program. Welcome back. Welcome back to this week's program. We are talking with Dr. Arthur C.R. McCauley, and he is the author of The Stress Solution and other books, in addition to The Power of Empathy. And these books are not just books, but they're more like workbooks. So with that in mind, we are going to welcome back uh, Dr. Arthur, and we are going to ask him to kind of give us a preview, like an example of what's something that we could do as a practical application during the holidays or any time that we're stressed or something that we could um, use this practice. You know, one thing, Holly, in terms of the holidays is, and I think it it applies to life in general, is we always need to be in touch with our longings. For instance, I I have a client who said to me, uh, she's going back to Michigan for for Christmas and New Year's, and she said to me, geez, I really hope my father doesn't drink this Christmas. And I said, well, does he usually drink on Christmas? She said, my father's been drunk every Christmas that I can remember. And I said, well, what's making you think he's not going to be drunk this Christmas? She said, well, I really always wanted a father who was, wouldn't drink and was more reasonable and rational. And I, and I said, you know, what is important, it's important for all of us going into the holidays is we, we pretty much know all the players. We know sisters, brothers, mothers, fathers, spouses, kids. We, we know the personalities that are in our lives and in our families, and, and we inherit our families. We don't necessarily choose them, but we need to be aware of our longings because our longings can really move us in a, in a direction that causes more problems. It would, and as we talked, she kind of grieved the loss of the father that she wished she had, and she, she had tears in her eyes, and she said, you know, it's funny, you know, I have tears, but I feel calmer. I, I was feeling anxious about going home, and now I realize, you know, I just have to, I, not that I accept my father's drinking, but I have to just deal with what is, not the father that I hope for. This is the father that I have. And a lot of times... When we're, when we're continually longing for something that doesn't exist, it creates a lot of tension and stress rather than saying, you know, I'm going to go home and I, or I'm going to go be with my family. I'm going to make the best of it. I'm not going to try to change anybody. I'm just going to try to interact in ways that are reasonable for me. And I always say, you know, I, uh, my relatives always ask me, why do I send, spend so much time with the children? And I said to her, you know, there's going to be a lot of children at your, at your Christmas festivity. You know, engage with the kids because they, they always are full of energy and high spirit. And um, sometimes we have to move away for them from the people that are doing self-destructive things or are looking for an argument and so forth to be able to have some peace ourselves. And always be aware of your longings when you go into these situations because that can really create more tension unnecessarily and try to think of who are the people that I'm going to be interacting with. I know the personalities, and you've got to kind of expect that they're going to be who they've always been, not somebody that we wish would would make a dramatic change. 
Yes, yes. And I, we always like to say that, you know, children keep you honest. One, they're very observant. And second, they don't have those filters yet. So they just, the things that come out of their mouth, they just say things so honestly. So um, it's just fun to engage with them. It keeps you on your toes. But um, this does bring me back to a comment we were talking about way earlier. We were talking about how um, as trust as children, that's how we really learn these embedded beliefs that, like you just mentioned before the break of the prejudices that seemed what ridiculous when you view them as an adult. But yeah. when you embedded that you were young and as a child it's just someone who is in a position of authority your trusted parent or guardian so it's very mm-hmm. easy for that to sink in and you just believe it without question whereas if you were yeah. given that piece of information today you would just laugh it off and give it the um, credibility and amount of um, thought that it should, deserves um, yeah. so let's talk a little more about that it's such a fascinating topic well I think you know Holly that involves a self voice because when we've been criticized or neglected or really not given the kind of compassion and empathy that we needed as young people, we develop a critical self-voice. And we've got to turn that critical self-voice into an understanding self-voice, not a punitive one, not a critical one, but one that is reasonable, like the kind of reasonable way we would be with anyone else. Because when you have a critical inner voice, you're likely to internalize stress. You blame yourself for situations that are out of your control. You probably have difficulty differentiating when the cause of a particular event is situational versus when it's personal. You know, you've already developed negative thoughts about the stress you're going to encounter before it actually exists, and this internal negativity makes you far more likely to overreact to a stressful situation. I, I give you an example in terms of what a, what a positive or negative self-voice can do. I have a client who's a world-class musician, and he's extremely critical of himself. And he came in the other day, and he goes, oh, I finally understand what you've been trying to teach me. I said, what do you mean? He said, I was listening to the radio, and I was listening to you know one of my favorite um, stations, and I was listening to this particular performer, and I said, oh, my God, this person is really great. Wow. And I listened to three songs that were played. And then the disc jockey came on and he said, it was me. It was a CD that I had recorded in the 80s and I completely forgot about it. And as soon as he said the name, my name, he said I felt critical immediately. I could almost hear the music differently. And, and he said, I realized that when I was objective, when I could hear my own playing objectively like it was someone else, I was very impressed. But the minute I knew it was me, I went back to my old conditioning and my negative self-voice and I could find criticisms in the playing, the, the same playing that I thought was wonderful two minutes before. And that's, what, that's what's so important for us to understand that our negative, our self-voice comes from the early learning. And as I said earlier, we, anything that's learned can be unlearned. No one was born critical of themselves. We were all born having very high-spirited thinking, we were going out into the world. My, my daughter is a kindergarten teacher, and she says that, you know, when you watch kids in the playground, even though she has 22 children and 11 of them are from other countries, but they're all out there hugging each other. They're very empathic to each other. She said the boys are just as affectionate with each other as the girls are. She said, but as they age, you can see their conditioning kind of changes them. By the time they're in fourth or fifth grade, you know, the certain kids only hang around with the Indian kids, hang around with the Indian kids, and the Jewish kids sort of migrate to the Jewish kids and the Irish kids, and then the white kids, you know, they kind of break down in groups, but when they're younger, they don't see any difference. They have far more empathy until they're exposed to the conditioning. And that's what we have to get back to. 
we have to get back to that natural goodness that lies within all of us because that's the way we came into this world. And we never had a critical self-voice. It was created. It wasn't created because there's something wrong with us. It was created by whatever we were exposed to. True. Very true. And how can you tell or pick up or have that um, sense of empathy in others? You know, some people, to your point, just don't feel empathy. And is there a way to see instead of get swindled by these people that you can kind of pick up on when someone's going from that place? I know kind of people try to say, if you read body language and people look a certain way, they're lying. You know, there's certain tells. Do you have any kind of cheat triggers for us or... Well, one thing is, and this, you know, it really comes into play in, like, for instance, dating is a great example because, like, you know, I obviously see a lot of people who've been through divorce and, and then they try, you know, to encounter someone new. And um, if, you're, if your longings are so strong and if you're afraid that you're not worthwhile or you're not going to find anyone in your life, then you start, your thinking becomes very stressed. And... When we become stressed, we release the stress home cortisol, and our thinking goes from a wide-lens camera to a very narrow camera, and we, we start missing things in the other person. So when we slow down, then empathy slows things down so that emotions can be tempered with thoughtful reflection. And then when we slow down, and instead of trying to win somebody over so quickly, when we slow down, we really can see another person more accurately. When, we do, when we're not trying to you know, please a person, but we're trying to know a person, it's a very different experience. And I always encourage people, when you're getting to know someone, ask open-ended questions. Open-ended questions put preconceptions aside because they express true interest in the other person's perspective. It's, it's like instead of asking your young teenage daughter, honey, do you really like your date? Do you, do you really think your date was cute? You might ask, how was your evening with your new date? You know, because you realize that when that mother says, honey, do you really think your date was cute? She's really saying, I don't think he was cute. Because most questions are statements that people don't have the courage to, to, to utter. So they phrase them in, in terms of questions. But when you ask a true question, when you say, gee, where do you live or what do you do? Or, you know, when, when you're truly curious about another person, you get to know them much more. And you also pay attention to, like, my, one of my clients who just went through a divorce, she met a man and, and he, was, he told her about the three other dates he has that week. And he also said, you know, I'm a great catch. And, and she looked at me and she said, why, why are you looking like that? I said, Once he, as soon as he told you about the three dates and told you that he was a great catch, I would hope you start running for the door. Mm-hmm. You know, but she didn't. And, and she kind of bought into it and she felt inferior because he said he was a great catch and he had three other women that he was dating. And I said, what 40-year-old woman man talks like that? I mean, why would he be telling you about other women? Why would he be telling you he's a great catch? I mean, that, that's an element of narcissism. And if she wasn't so desperate to be loved, she would have seen that. And it ended yes. up, after a couple of more dates, she realized that he lied to her about a few things. And she kind of caught on. didn't take her too long. But you see, in that first time, just those comments would have told you that you should run the other way. And you also want to pay attention to, does the other person talk more than they listen? Or do you talk more than you listen? Because it should be equal. If another person isn't asking you much about yourself, but they're only talking about themselves, that's telling you that they're not very empathic. That's telling you that 
they're not going to be very interested in you. They're looking for that, that for you to be idealizing them. Yes. Well, that is funny. We're um, up to our last break of the show today, and um, that reminds me of a funny story, and I just have to bring it up. One of um, my office Christmas parties, um, my significant other showed up, and someone who I was speaking to, and it was a director-level employee, and they had had problems with me at work, and I had been dealing with other people, and I had walked away after making the introduction, but was still with an earshot, definitely able to hear things, and he asked my significant other a question, and as he started to answer it, he said, I'm sorry, I shouldn't have asked the question. I actually don't care to hear the answer. At least he was nice enough to say that, but can you yeah. imagine the gall? So um, it's very funny. So I just had to share. People will tell you who they are if you give them a chance. So um, we will be right back uh, after this break to talk more about how to balance your stress over the holidays with Dr. Arthur C.R. McCauley. And we'll be right back. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. This program is sponsored by ilovenature.com. Do you love sustainability? Do you love getting to the point? Sustainability is thoughtful, planned utilization of the Earth's resources for the betterment of humanity. Sustainability awareness is crucial to the Earth and to humanity's continued long-term existence. We all need to participate. This is a global issue that impacts each of us locally. Visit ilovenature.com. Respect yourself, the Earth, and humanity. That's E-Y-E, lovenature.com. Addiction. People struggle with it every day. Their families share in the struggle. It seems that there are no answers and nowhere to turn. Now, host Tim Ryan shares his remarkable story of addiction, the trouble he has faced, including drug-related crimes, serving time, and the loss of his own son to heroin addiction. Tim shares the knowledge he has learned in his recovery and provides much-needed information. Listen to A Man in Recovery Radio, from dope to hope, Mondays at 10 a.m. Eastern, 9 a.m. Central, and 7 a.m. Pacific on Voice America Health & Wellness. I Love Nature supports sustainability, and that begins with self-love and self-care. Take a moment and ask yourself, do you often feel your batteries need to be recharged? Do you regularly wish for more time in the day to tackle everything on your to-do list? Are you continually delaying personal vacation planning? It's time to reclaim your life's purpose. Break out of your rut. Visit ilovenature.com. Get out and enjoy nature and some physical exercise. That's EYELoveNature.com. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. You are tuned in to Stewardship Through Respect with Holly Wells. If you have a question or comment about our show, please send an email to respect at ilovenature.com. That's respect at eyelovenature.com. Now back to this week's program. Welcome back. We are here talking about the stress solution with Dr. Arthur C.R. McCauley. And we're talking about um, empathy, really. 
And I really do try not to get political on the show, but with um, the election just having passed and with that being so front of mind, it really helps me think about these two words, which we were talking about, and the difference between them, which is empathy versus sympathy. So I'd like to talk about that. Let's um, just go there and explore that topic. Okay, thank you. Um, You know, empathy... Empathy slows down a process to understand. Sympathy rushes in to console. So let me, let me give you an example of uh, a recent client who told me a story that I think exemplifies this. Is one of my clients moved here from California, and she, she's only been in her neighborhood in the Massachusetts for a short time. And her father passed away last year, and she was very, very close to him and devastated by the loss of him because they were so connected. And then... Recently, she heard that one of her neighbors, who she had only met once, she had heard that her, her father died. So she put together a basket of flowers and, and some food, and she went over to her house, and she rang the doorbell. And when the woman answered the doorbell, she said, Oh, my God, I heard about your dad. You must be devastated. I was devastated. I'm still devastated. I love my father so much. I'm so, so sorry. And the woman looked at her, and she said, you know, it's really nice of you to come and bring all of this, she said, but I'm not devastated because my father left us when I was two years old. And and I, I wouldn't know my father if I saw him walking down the street. So, uh, you know, I, I appreciate you you're trying to be very giving, but I'm not devastated. So you see, that was sympathy. Sympathy rushes in based on an identification, which is that you must be experiencing what I experience. I identify with what you're experiencing because it must be the same. Empathy slows down a process and says, I don't know what your experience is. Your experience could be totally different than mine. You know, I lived in Chicago and I didn't like it, so you might feel the same way. But maybe, you know, but I'm not taking my time to see that maybe I could ask you an open-ended question to find out what your experience is living there or living anywhere. So Mm -hmm. empathy is the capacity to understand the unique experiences of another person. It's truth-oriented, and it takes its time to understand the facts. Sympathy rushes in just based on having a similar experience, assuming that we feel the same thing. Yes. Yes, that is fantastic. I was part of a group, and it's reminding me of um, something that I do. I am very good, I think, at being an active listener. I do because I am so intrigued by the conversation unfolding. But Mm -hmm. I do also, at the same time, have a tendency to interrupt and move along because my mind is uh, racing forward. So I do appreciate you using the slow down a lot. So I'm really listening and taking that into account. Um, So let's just really keep talking more about the empathy and the difference of when you catch yourself rushing in with sympathy how can you like to me i i'm also very good at reading body language so again mm-hmm. if i were to misstep and just jump in like i sometimes do i think i would then pick up on the cues that that is not melding with them but maybe how would someone else um, um kind of see that well i i think basically we can all hear how fast we're talking and you want to ask yourself am i rehearsing what to say in reaction to what i'm hearing or am i truly listening you know, when you have faith in yourself to be able to listen, and I, I love the term holy listening. It's listening another person's soul into a position of discovery and disclosure. It's, it's what's often called by uh, theologians holy listening. And that, way, that kind of listening is truly trying to understand another human being beyond the surface. And if you're practicing and rehearsing what you're going to say in return, um, 
you're not, you can't really be present. And so we, we all, we kind of have to discipline ourselves to ask, am I eager to speak or am I eager to listen? And, you know, if you know how to listen from an empathic perspective, that's why I have a chapter in the book on empathic listening, you can, you can make a friend with anyone. It, it is absolutely amazing. People have told me so many times, oh, that person won't talk to you, or she won't talk to you, he won't talk to you. Human beings will talk if they feel that the other person is truly curious, and like as you said before, Holly, truly curious about who you are. I really want to know you. I'm not as, I'm not as, I'm not as focused on me impressing you as I am in me knowing you. So you have to ask yourself, do you talk more than you listen? Is it, an, is it a fair interchange? Uh, do we both talk at certain points, and, and do we both feel understood? Because remember, when you give and receive empathy, you change the brain. You produce oxytocin, that wonderful miracle, near-miracle neurotransmitter. But if one person is dominating and the other person is just passively listening, it's not happening. What you're really causing is a stress reaction. So... We have to slow down and we have to pay attention to the other person's nonverbal cues to see, you know, and sometimes you just ask. If you think you're kind of off with the person, you say, gee, do you think I'm understanding you? Do you think I'm getting what you're saying? Just, just sort of the kind of questions that indicate I really want to understand. I really do. That's why I'm asking you, do you feel like I'm understanding? Do you feel like I'm, I'm comprehending what you're, trying to, what you're trying to convey to me? You know, any, any way that you're really saying, I, I want to, I, I'm, I'm trying to be here and I'm trying to understand you, and that's why I'm asking these open-ended questions, to make sure that I do understand. Yes, I love that you're calling in soul and holy listening right now when it is the time of Christmas. is just fantastic. Well, one of the things that I want to talk to before we're ending, we only have a few minutes here, is... Um, and related to what you were saying, so some people, if they find themselves talking too much, that's a good practice. You could just stop yourself and just say, I'm sorry, I've been monopolizing the conversation. That's a good practice, right? If you catch yourself just monopolizing the conversation. Absolutely. That's a great point, Holly, because you're saying, I'm human, I made a mistake, but I want to correct it. And I don't mind, you know, I don't mind acknowledging that, you know, I, I'm so excited about this topic or whatever that I'm going on and on. And, and, and just asking the other person, is it okay? Are you interested? Sometimes I, I ask a person uh, if I'm really excited about a particular topic, I'll say, do you want to hear this? You can tell me the truth. You know, I love it. In- yes, that's what I said earlier, how the gentleman at least did say he didn't care to hear the answer. I respect him for his honesty. So I yeah. love that. Yeah. Well, because you're saying, look, it's okay. You may, you may not be interested in this topic. I understand. I'm not, I'm not offended. It's okay. You can let me know. You can be honest with me. Great. We have like a minute to go. So any th- comments you would like to share or the countersuit, if you're caught in a conversation where you're not able to get a word in edgewise, do you have, instead of saying, I'm sorry, I'm monopolizing the conversation, what could the other person say that's not being able to get a word in edgewise? Well, I, I, I think that, you know, this is very important because a lot of times people just listen passively and, and they feel very stressed because they, it's not an interaction. And I think you have to raise your hand and say, you know, I, w- I really want to understand what you're saying, but I feel like, you know, you're, you're, you've been talking for quite a while and I can't comprehend it all without being involved. You know, so That's great. It's okay, it's yes. okay that I can say a little bit what I'm, what I'm thinking about. I mean, in, in this book, The Stress Solution, I focus on this a great deal. So 
Um, I'm hoping your listeners might take a look at it. And I think when we all slow down and become more empathic, you know, we, we, and when we give, when we focus on goodness and empathy, we become change agents. And that, and I wrote this book for that purpose that I, you know, whenever we're doing this, it has a ripple effect, you know, because people love to be listened to in an empathic way and they love, all human beings love to be in a give and take like that. And when you can do it with someone, most likely they're going to pass it on to someone else. And and it, ha- it does have truly a ripple effect. Fantastic. That's a great way to close out this show. I thank you so much for your time. I think we had a great discussion here. Again, go to um, balanceyoursuccess.com. You can fill out the goodness survey. You can look at all of the good offerings and um, enjoy the holiday season, everyone. And thank you for being on the program. Thank you very much, Holly. I appreciate it. Happy holidays. Thank you, and happy holidays to everyone else. Good night. Thank you for listening to Stewardship Through Respect. Please join your host, Holly Wells, again for another edition next Friday at 3 p.m. Pacific Time and 6 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. We'll have more to talk about next week. Have a good weekend.